You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now here are your hosts, C.C. Broadus, Alan Schneider, and Brandon Jaggers. Welcome in to a Sunday edition of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm your host, C.C. Broadus. And I'm joined, as always, by my handicapping buddies, Alan Schneider. Hey, everybody. How's it going on this special Sunday episode? And Brandon Jaggers. Are you there, sir? Afternoon. Been a long weekend. Should have had two pick fours at Churchill Downs today, but I didn't. But at least I was on the Ohio enjoying some sun. <laughs> well, I wanted to declare bankruptcy today, officially. <laughs> I'm broke. I went all in on that late pick four yesterday at Churchill and now there's nothing left, so I need a paycheck badly, but that's okay, guys. How was uh, how was the, the the racing weekend for you guys? I think I played the same late pick four you did. I kind of treaded lightly during this meet, but I was anxious to play that pick four with the ACAC yesterday, and uh, I got one out of four on that bad boy, so <laughs> had better days. Brandon, any chance you saw Improbable win the awesome again stakes yesterday? That was a yeah. major league performance. Off the pace and just... I mean, looked really easy coming home. I mean, down the lane, it, I couldn't believe how easy it was. And Max just didn't seem to have a kick. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he raced between horses all the way. It was a, it was a strangely run race, uh, especially with uh, the tactics of uh, midcourt. But uh, improbable, oh. as as impressive as he ever was. I mean, the horse he can he can lead, he can he can rate, he can come from way back. Uh, he's probably going to be the favorite for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, okay, let's get to our first guest. This evening, she is an up-and-comer in the world of horse racing. Currently, she's the analyst of racing at Fort Erie Racetrack in Canada, which is near her home in Buffalo, New York. In addition to that, she's had stints for TVG and the Stronach Group, and is currently working with Twinspires.com and the Horse Racing Radio Network. We're very excited to be joined by Ashley Mayu. Ashley, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I had a little bit of a long drive today, so now I'm just relaxing and trying to go through the Tuesday card at Fort Erie. All right. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Now, you're the analyst at Fort Erie. How long have you, have you been there? This is my third season. So I started in 2018. I moved back to Buffalo after finishing my master's. I said I was never going to move back. I moved back for a job here. And then, you know, it kind of a weird story, but Fort Erie kind of fell on my lap as far as the opportunity to do some analysis and write a tip sheet and they threw me on camera one day and well I guess I never left <laughs> now you started in the business at a young age though right I mean I think you were you were writing tip sheets at age 13 am I correct yeah I've, you know I've always kind of blogged my picks for Fort Erie just in general I mean if you go to a track and it's kind of your hometown track you get to know everyone there whether it's the horsemen or the local gamblers and just the patrons at the track and um, you know, I, I kind of started it more in, in high school. And then when I left for college, just cause I was away at school and I'd still talk to some people and they're like, Oh, who do you like? And I was like, well, I'll just throw it up on a blog. And, uh, an actual, uh, at Fort Erie had said something to the racing office. Um, actually when I was coming back after my master's and this girl, she likes to bet Fort Erie, she handicaps decent. Like, you know, would anyone be interested? Cause they hadn't had anyone as an analyst for a couple of years. And so I was reached out from the communications. They kind of sent me a, a message on Twitter. They slid into my DMs, wanted to know if I was interested in maybe doing some handicapping. And that's kind of how it all started. So just curious, how how long does it take you to handicap a like a, an average Fort Erie card? 
Uh, if we run eight races, I'm probably going to spend about two hours on it. Um, it. It really depends because part of it is, you know, going through the races and making your selections. But when I do my tip sheet, I just don't put the numbers. I actually kind of write like a story or a narrative with a paragraph where I write a couple sentences about my top three. And that's probably the most time consuming thing. I've kind of changed it a little bit now that if I just have really strong feelings on several races, I'll just kind of make those my feature races and go more in depth on those and shorten up on the others. But it kind of just depends on the day, it depends on the card, and a big thing is the weather. So I always have to watch the weather because I write this ahead of time just to see, okay, well, should I also write some backup if we're going to move from the turf to the dirt? So it, it can be really time-consuming. Do you stress? She is yeah. CC. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. 20, stress, 20 years younger. <laughs> do you stress about your selections if you have a, a run of bad luck or anything like that or do you just water off your back? I had a really bad day. I think it was last week. Maybe it was Monday. Um, I think like the last five races, I didn't have like uh, the winner on the top spot or the second spot. And there's a couple races they weren't on the sheet at all. I mean, sometimes it bothers you and it eats at you a little bit or if someone gives you a flack. But that's the nature of the beast, right? You know, Chad Brown might win with, I don't know, first time starters at 26 percent. Second, he loses. They forget 74 percent of the time he's not winning. And, you know, you get kind of busted because everyone thinks you're supposed to be the expert but we all know it's horse racing you could love a horse and they can run last so it's just the nature of the beast yeah, i know how that do you is go, do you go back and look at, at you know maybe why they were off the board or off your tip sheet and try to analyze backwards after the results came in or no yeah i think sometimes too um you know I, you know you have races right especially i know you guys were talking about i think churchill when you get like a big field somewhere right there are some races especially if you got maidens or something you might write, like half the field but that's not really saying much right just a wide open event so sometimes i try to go back and see what i didn't see the first time why i didn't right. race the horse that won just to see or you know you look at times or the track bias was the track really playing to speed were closers coming in um you know there's so there's so many kind of variables in that situation of why things occur the way they do so um i don't try to you know sweat it too much and spend too much time but i try to get all the valuable information but we all have bad beats, I'm sure. We could go around for about two hours and probably talk about our bad beats each. <laughs> Amen. Oh, it was like it happened today. I mean, twice. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even believe it. I left my own trainer out of the late pick four at Churchill. So, Yikes. I don't, I don't often do that, but I did it, and I paid for it. All right, so Ashley, uh, what, uh, what racing analysts or personalities do you respect the most? And, and is there any certain analyst that you might model your – your game after so i'll say when i was a kid the one that i looked up to the most was janine edwards obviously with espn and everything that she did i can just remember being a kid and watching her on tv or i'll never forget we have photos um when we we'd go to saratoga we park right next to the track and in, in the lot that i don't know at the time it was like 10 bucks it's probably 30 bucks now um everything's gone up in that you know 20 years or so but We'd park there and you go past the trailers, um, like the produce, like the uh, production trailers. And I'll never forget, like I saw Janine Edwards and my dad's like, do you want a photo with her? I'm like, yes, please. So I got a photo with her and Jerry Bailey and uh, Kenny Main, Randy Moss. They were all there. And like, you know, those kind of experiences mean a lot to a kid. Um, but, you know, when I was that age, I never thought anything about doing TV, radio. I mean, I love to talk. Everyone knows that I'm a chatty Cathy, but that was never something that I dreamed of doing. It wasn't an aspiration. I just loved horse racing. And even that wasn't part of my plan. I mean, I went to school for math. I was never thinking horse racing would be something that I would 
work my way into. So I think as a kid, Janine is the one that sticks out. But it's interesting now, especially with working with different people in racing and different analysts. Um, you know, I, I look at like Kayton and Maggie. I've never worked with Maggie, but I worked with Kayton. I think Kayton does such a great job of physical handicapping on horses. And so does Maggie. I think Acacia, she speaks so well and she can, you know, analyze from the paddock at, at Gulfstream and really give you insight. And as someone that's, you know, watching on TV and isn't at the track, you're getting that picture painted to you. Um, Gabby's phenomenal as well. I mean, kind of everyone that I've worked with, I think they all have their strong suits and things that they're good at. So, you know, in an ideal world, I'd like to take all their best qualities and, you know, learn from them individually like that. But as a kid, it was Janine. And now I just see that you know, all the analysts I've worked with, especially the female analysts, um, that's primarily who I've worked with, they are um, really good at what they do, and they all have kind of like their niche thing in racing. I agree with you. Kate and Bradar is one of the best in the industry. I would pay for her selections, I think. And same with Maggie (laughs) Wolfendale. They just do an incredible job. Uh, You said you majored in math. Let's talk about that just for a minute. Uh, You went to Transy in Lexington. Uh, Care to discuss your days at at, uh, Transylvania? Well, first off, I didn't even know Transylvania was a school in North America <laughs> until about uh, three or four months before I was graduating. And everyone kind of talks about May 1st is like the, the national day where you have to, you know, say where you're going. That's like the the big thing in college admissions. That's where you have to make your decision. And, and I don't know, probably January or February, I got this flyer from, from Transylvania University. And I'm like, this sounds like this is in like Romania or somewhere foreign. <laughs> I'm going to throw it out. And I kid you not I just saw it's in Lexington Kentucky I saw the little you know address on it and actually then read what it was about it was about a free application you want to apply and you know free app so I said well my dream was kind of always to go to UK I applied to a bunch of schools already and I'm like well it's in Lexington I love Lexington that was kind of my plan since about my freshman year of high school I wanted to be in Lexington had nothing to do with the horses of course um and they invited me on campus in uh, February of my senior year, I had gotten an interview for an academic scholarship. And when everything kind of came out of that, I got a pretty good scholarship there. I got a two thirds ride and it was actually cheaper for me to go to Transylvania than the university of Kentucky. And even just, even, you know, despite that and that sort of thing, um, I always wanted to go to a big school. And then I went to Transylvania, which at the time, I think, for all four years, not just, you know, freshman class, but all four classes combined, I think the student population is 1,200. It's so small. Your average mm-hmm. class size was 13. And uh, I loved it. I loved having that, but I loved being in Lexington because if I still wanted to have the big school experience, well, I can go walk to Rupp Arena and be closer to it than the students at UK. And if I want to go to other sporting events, you name it, if you want to party, whatever you want to do. UK was still there for that. So um, I, I loved it. I loved my time at Transylvania. I always thought maybe I'd get back to Lexington eventually. Um, it's such a fun spot, especially where I was situated. I could just walk downtown. You can drive to Keeneland in like 5.1 miles. I wonder <laughs> how I know that. I might have spent um, almost every day of a meet there once, but never in this class. So, you know, it's kind of a good spot too. Like Cincinnati's closer. If you want to go down for a couple hours drive, you can go to Nashville. There's so much to do in that area. I love it. Yeah, you, you don't know how good you have it. I went to University of Kentucky, and I had a few classes with three or 400 people in them. Uh, also, the dorms did not have air conditioning. I'm, I'm that old. Uh, when, I was, <laughs> when I was there, I'd stayed at Holmes Hall. That place did not have air conditioning. I mean, it was all whatever the weather was. That's how, that's how it was inside your dorm. Uh, but then you went on to uh, 
University at Dayton. I think Dayton is a cool town. I've only been there once. I, I went there for the uh, the tournament, uh, the basketball tournament, several years okay. ago. But uh, how was Dayton your? Flyers. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice, fun college town. Uh, what any any uh, <laughs> any memories of Dayton? Um, so I was only there for two years. I went for my master's in applied math. I concentrated on statistics, but I guess I didn't have the the fun that maybe the undergrads have there. I believe they're one of the most notable uh, schools to party on St. Patrick's Day. I also know that because I was a uh, graduate assistant, so I taught for two semesters. So I would teach an introductory math class to anywhere from freshmen to seniors that were only, you know, a couple years younger than me. And I'll never forget coming in once and just seeing everyone after the day after St. Patty's Day. It was an interesting teaching experience, to say the least. But um, no, Dayton's really cool. I lived outside of it in Centerville, actually, um, to kind of just stay busy in the area. I mean, there's a lot of outdoor stuff to do. And like I said, Cincinnati, another place that's close, kind of in between um, that in Lexington. I still spent a decent amount of time in Lexington, but um, I actually worked at Dayton Raceway. They got a harness track not too far away. It was about 25 minutes from where I lived and um, still was kind of involved. I'd go to Belterra all the time. I love Belterra Park. I had so much fun there. Um, so Dayton was good. You know, I, I think I was had a lot of stuff on my plate with school, so I didn't really get to experience too much or explore too much other than, you know, taking my dog for hikes and going to racetracks. But uh, another cool spot to live. So let's talk about uh, your work career. Now, you uh, you've done some work for uh, I, I assume you're part of the staff at the Horse Racing Radio Network and you've done some stuff for TVG and the Stronach Group. Uh, any of those memories stand out? I know you covered some big, big events, Breeders' Cup, Pegasus World Cup, Preakness. Anything, anything stand out to you at I think the moment? You just hit my trifecta of things. Um, <laughs> kind of going in order, I guess. Uh, Preakness was just wild. I mean, I work a full-time job out of racing. So when yeah. I started Fort Erie, that was just a, you know, do it on Sundays. And as soon as I get done at the office on Tuesdays, I'd head over the track. And, um, you know, it was just kind of, everything that I do in racing is outside of my eight to, you know, nine to five, eight to five hours of the bank. So it's all kind of what my free time is. Um, so, and I still work full time out of racing, but um, kind of talking about those experience, Preakness was, was insane. Uh, it was my second freelance assignment ever. My first <laughs> one, they sent me to the winter carnival. Um, and I got to work alongside Richard Migliore, which was just wild because I'm just used to being in the paddock by myself at Fort Erie, just rambling on about the horses and, to be next to the MIG uh, was the coolest experience too. I brought a photo of when I was a kid and he rode funny side up at Woodbine and he just thought that was the coolest thing. And I told him that's how you make fans in the sport. And uh, you know, that experience always stood out to me, but Preakness specifically was just crazy. I'd never been to the Preakness and I will say this probably a unpopular opinion. I think that's the, the best uh, leg of the, the triple crown uh, Derby's really? fun, but to the have Preakness, Preakness. I thought, yes, I think Preakness <laughs> is, uh, it's one of a kind. And, you know, it's interesting for me to say that when I went last year, right? Because maximum security and country house weren't there. So I can only imagine what it feels like to have the triple crown actually on the line, which we knew we weren't going to have a triple crown winner last year. That was really an awesome experience. Then you mentioned Breeders' Cup for HRN. That was just a jam packed two days and just, you know, grabbing whoever you can interview, whether it's Dean Reeves or Vinnie Viola you know, Manny Franco, just to get all these different um, people and get to talk to them. It was truly uh, incredible. And Santa Anita is just a beautiful track. And then you mentioned Pegasus. And as far as an interview perspective of doing interviews, um, I had two interviews to do that day. And by far, they've been my two favorite interviews ever. 
Um, one was Shug McGahey. He won the inside information with Pink Sands and he trained inside information. So he had never won the race since it was renamed. I think it was named the Shirley Jones before that. But since it was renamed after inside information, he had never won it. And just to talk to him about that. I mean, how many trainers, you know, win a race named after a horse they trained? I thought that was so cool. And he was, he was really great and fond of her. Obviously she was a pretty impressive horse. And then the other one was for the Fred Hooper, which was won by fat man. Um, it was trainer Kent Sweezy's first graded stakes win. So that was an interesting mm. interview just because I knew this was like a once in a lifetime experience for him, right? He's never going to have another first graded stakes win. He might have his first grade one, but in general, his first graded stakes win was that day. And to have that interview, I thought was pretty special. Good deal. Let's talk about Fort Erie a little bit. Now, I've never been to Fort Erie. I've, I don't know a whole lot about the track. The things I have heard is that, well, the main thing is it's a beautiful racetrack and I know Alan has been there Alan you why don't you comment about your uh, experience at Fort Erie and then maybe ask uh, Ashley a few questions yeah we uh we went up there last year and uh, as I recall and you correct me if I'm wrong Ashley you you cross the Buffalo border and it's is it 10 or 20 miles inside inside Canada is what what is it uh maybe it's, it's even not even uh, yeah it's way less than that so basically downtown Buffalo if you get on the Peace Bridge um, yeah. for example, I live it, I will not live, but I work in downtown Buffalo. I can see the peace bridge from my office and it's less than a mile. So okay, you're probably yeah, about 10 right. miles, 10 or 11 miles from the airport though, of the Buffalo airport. Yeah. I loved it. It races on Tuesdays and, uh, was it Thursdays, Mondays? I can't even remember now, but, uh, sitting back in on the patio, there drinking a Molson, uh, listen to Ashley and watching the horses go by it's a it's a great experience and it's one of the reasons ashley's on the, the show today to talk about the prince of wales their big uh canadian preakness i guess you would call it running on tuesday but uh one of the things that struck me about fort erie the jockey colony is a fantastic jockey colony and the predominantly female uh jockeys there do exceptionally well uh, could you comment on the melanie pintos and the the helen is it Benek, as i believe Bannock, as I yeah helen Bannock. And there's others, too. I just can't remember the names, but uh, the women up there win a pr very high share of the races. Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's funny you bring it up. I know, I think it was last year, it was Father's Day. It's all about the guys, right? The girls swept the card. Um, <laughs> they swept all, all of the races. So um, this year riding, you have Melanie Pinto, like you mentioned, and Helen Vanek. Um, Helen's ridden quarter horses before, very, very talented. And Melanie, um, she also works for Josie Carroll in the winters. Uh, you know, I'm actually really good friends with Melanie. And uh, last year there was another one, Krista Kerrigan. She was our leading yes. rider, and she uh, she had been yeah she had been a leading apprentice uh, years before. And you know, she had kids. She took some time off. She came back to the races and was better than ever. Um, so she was our leading rider last year. And then she's decided to take this year off. Maybe we'll see her back next year is probably the plan for her. But yeah, they kind of dominate up there. I mean, overall, I think Helen's winning probably around 25 or 26 percent right now. Melanie's, I think, around 21, 22 percent. Um, they're very, very great riders. I mean, there's some other big riders there, too. Um, Emil Ram Sammy, you know, he rode out briefly out in California for a bit. And he was, you know, had some big time horses back in the day. Um, he's having a good year. I mean, it's kind of a competitive colony. It really is. Juan really Crawford's is. another rider. So if you look at the percentages overall, I mean, you see a lot of these jocks are doing really strong, but you're right. But the girls kind of dominate. And uh, the track announcer, uh, I'm a little picky with my track announcers, and I was struck by Frank Saliba. I think he's been doing it for a long time, but he honestly is one of the best 
in the country that I've heard, and I don't think a lot of people down south, so to speak, know about him. Uh, have you met Mr. Salive? Yes, Frank is so nice. It's actually funny. Whenever I'm somewhere else, if he sees me on the, the TV somewhere else, he'll send me an email and say, hey, I saw you were at Gulfstream or wherever. Um, Frank had announced, I mean, big time harness racing. Um, you know, he always tell me, like, listen to this race call and stuff. But he's got a very, I think they call him the Velvet Fog is his name. He's got a very, like, smooth tone. Exactly. His voice, yeah. he kind of sets the scene for you. Um, super, super nice guy. Yeah. And when you're living up there in Buffalo, when you were younger, I mean, did you get to Fort Erie? Did you go to Saratoga, Finger Lakes? Where, where, where was your, where did you guys go to? Name where I didn't go, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I was all of those. I mean, Fort Erie, the good thing was they used to race more days. Um, you know, years ago, way before I was even a thought, you know, before my parents were born, I mean, they would have like an A meet at Saratoga, uh, not Saratoga, excuse me, Fort Erie. I mean, they have an A meet and, you know, both Woodbine and Fort Erie were like the predominant tracks. Um, and even when I was a kid, I mean, we'd still run 80, 90 days, multiple days a week. So as a kid, my mom would work and she couldn't go. My dad would be like, what do you want to do? And I'd be like, let's go to the track. I mean, I, I'm not kidding you. Um, you know, maybe when I was two or three that they would, you know, take me with them. But I started kind of begging to go to the track. And with Fort Erie being so close, we would go there all the time. I'd be that kid, you know, standing on the, the fence outside the paddock, peeking through. And it started off just picking, oh, that horse is gray or it's got cat in the name. Like people still do, you know. But then I started wanting to know about what's seven to two mean? What's this mean in, in the forum and started reading the forum and really bonded with my dad over that. He taught me a lot, but Finger Lakes, we'd go to Finger Lakes and then probably for over 10 years, maybe even 15 years, we'd go to Saratoga every summer. We'd typically go for Jim Dandy. Sometimes we'd stay through the Whitney, um, come back for closing weekend. I mean, Saratoga is only about a four and a half, four hour, 45 minute drive. So not too bad. And I'll admit it. I am from New York, but I, Saratoga is the best to me. It's the best track I've ever been to. I love it. Better than Keeneland? Yes, I, I know that's hard to say. I like Keeneland. That's okay. <laughs> but the thing that I like, and, and they have similarities in some ways, but I like Saratoga. I can get there at like 7 in the morning, take my camping chairs, take my cooler with snacks, drinks, whatever, set up shop yep. for the day, and stay till 7 p.m. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the atmosphere. I mean, you start sitting at the same tree and every year you see the same people for years and years to come and you just talk and, you know, you're only there for Jim Danny and you see the same people. So I love that atmosphere at Saratoga. I was amazed just to go into Toga and you can just carry your own beer. I mean, anything you wanted, it was just so relaxing. And, and, uh, you know, the biggest difference is Keeneland's not like that. Keeneland's on its own, you know, it's kind of on its own Island out there in the field, but yeah, you're, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Fort Erie's marquee event coming up on Tuesday. This is the Prince of Wales Stakes, and I was just going through the history of this race. This this race is really cool. Uh, just looking at some of the winners and some of the trainers. I mean, going back to 1986. Uh, Alan, I, you know, remember Mike Tomorrow? He won the uh, this race in '86 with Golden yes. Choice. Uh, yes, the race yes. was yeah, the race was running a mile and a half up until 1987. I didn't realize that. Uh, 1988, they looks like they switched it to a mile and three sixteenths, maybe to match the Preakness for for all I know. But uh, it was kind of starting with 1988, going through maybe 1993. I'd kind of call this maybe the the golden age of modern Canadian racing because this was a just looking at the winners of this race in that time period. This is you know some star-studded caliber horses. Like we're talking about 88 was Regal Classic. Uh, he had just 
Uh, I think he was beaten in the Queens plate that year, but, but prior to that, he, he raced like fifth or sixth in the Kentucky Derby. And then with approval, went on to win the, the uh, Canadian Triple Crown. Uh, Isvestia won the Triple Crown. Dan Smartly won the Triple Crown. She came down here to uh, Churchill and then won the Breeders' Cup Distaff that year, I believe. Uh, and then 1992, Allie Deed was maybe like 1-20 to 20 to win the Prince of Wales, and he was upset by Ben Burb. I remember I watched that race live on TV, I think maybe on CBC or, or one of those networks. And, uh, and then 1993, Petsky won the uh, Canadian Triple Crown. Uh, Ashley, this is before your time. Uh, do you, I know you don't have any memories of these horses, but uh, I mean, how, how do you feel about, about my sentiment? Do you think that may have been the, the best era of Canadian racing in modern times? Yeah, I think, I mean, in modern times, yeah, I think you kind of look at those winners, like you mentioned, the 80s and early 90s, even some of the late 90s horses in there. I mean, Archer's Bay was a a big horse. I think he won in 98, 99. Um, That was kind of like the classic racing. I mean, you look at who's won this. I mean, uh, Minshall Farms, you know, Barb Minshall, bunch of horses. Samson had their fair share. You mentioned Regal Classic and Dan Smartly. Um, Used to have this display, I believe, was of Dan Smartly at Fort Erie when you'd walk in. I mean, Real deal. I mean, the horse was the real deal. And I think even some of the horses that we saw and kind of, I mean, the last time the Triple Crown was won was 2003 with Wando. We look at some of the horses in the early 2000s. There's some big races. I know um, Wind City, I can actually remember that race when Wind City won. The other big horse in there was uh, Dance Through the Dawn. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. Samson. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Samson's done really well in the race, but I think you're kind of hitting the nail on the head when you look at those 80s and some of the horses that won. I mean, another one's Runaway Groom was one. I mean, really big horses. Well, that, that, this is about the time when I started to follow racing a whole lot. And I was, you know, you're hungry for any type of information. And you can imagine there was no Twitter, no Internet back in the late 80s. And, you know, any, any, anything came on TV, I just soaked it in. I just remember I have fond memories of those horses. Uh, uh, two years ago, Wonder, Wonder Good Dope, the Philly won this race in absolute bog. I, you were there for that, right? Yeah, that was my first year um, doing, like, the paddock analysis there. And it was it's been cool just to see kind of over the years riders come in. I mean, Johnny V was at Fort Erie, right? Like, you know, that's kind Whoa. of, it's kind of a crazy yeah. thing, right? Because it's a small track. It's in Canada. You know, you don't see these riders. I mean, last year it was insane. You had Flavian Pratt there. You had Javier Castellano and you had Ricardo wow. Santana Jr. And, you know, I, you know, I've seen them all and talked to them at the bigger races, but to have them all come to Fort Erie for the first time, I'm always curious, like, what do you think of the fort? Like, I want to know what you think of the track okay. and the surface. And honestly, they've all been complimentary and, you know, high praise for the track and a lot of people that tell you that at Fort Erie it's like a peaceful place to train but the surface is great so um I can even go back years further back I remember Miguel Mena rode he rode uh the Cassie horse uh uncaptured when that one won I can remember Ebar has been there um yeah it's it's interesting when those big riders come to town and this year obviously that's not happening with COVID but it you know Johnny V there and then like I mentioned the three big guys last year pretty awesome especially for fans, right? You know, Canadian yeah. racing, they, you know, if they go to Woodbine, they might see that, but those local fans and those local patrons at Fort Erie, you don't get to see those riders live a lot of the time. And to have them at your home track is, is really special. So let's set the stage for this race. Uh, the Canadian triple crown, of course, the, the first leg is the Queens plate uh, running a mile and a quarter. And it's on the, uh, the synthetic track at Woodbine. Now the Prince of Wales is a mile and three sixteenths. It's on the dirt track. And then the final leg of the triple crown, um, basically the, the mirror of our Belmont stakes is the breeder stakes. It's run a mile and a half on turf. I'm not sure what the date of that is. Do you know what that is, Ashley? 
Um, I want to say, I'm trying to think, October, it's like mid-October. Maybe three weeks. Three, yeah, three, I think that's weeks. what they're doing for that. I'm not sure yeah. of the exact date off the top of my head. Okay, well, the Prince of Wales this year features Mighty Heart. It's the son of Dramedy, and he's been installed as a 7-5 to five morning line favorite for Josie Carroll and uh, Daisuke Fukumoto. Uh, this horse uh, romped in the Queen's Plate, set, set a moderate pace, went on to win by seven and a half lengths there. At, at, at a good price, 13 to 1. Now, I've got memories of his sire, not good memories. Uh, Dramedy won the 2015 edition of the Elkhorn Stakes at uh, at Keeneland, and that was a mile and a half on the turf. It was a ridiculously run race. He he and another horse just sprinted out, and they, they were 10 lengths to clear the rest of the field, but they, they set slow fractions, and he held on to win. That was his only stakes race, and and, and lo and behold, he, he sires the favorite of this race, uh, uh, Ashley, what's your what's your impression of Mighty Heart and you know his chances of uh, uh, successfully switching to uh, a dirt surface? So kind of looking at him, I mean, he does have that one race. It was the debut at Fairgrounds, so I really don't take too much out of it. Um, I don't read into it. I mean, he's got a dirt start. He finished fourth. He wasn't like well defeated. He had some issues in the trip. So to me, he's still kind of you know not really experienced on the dirt at all. I'm not going to count that really. Um, now looking at him, obviously this was kind of my concern with the Queen's Plate was when handicapping. It was a big field. He had some maidens in there. The pace scenario on paper wasn't really clear. There was a couple horses you thought might go. Dotted Line was one of them that I thought might be forwardly placed, and that didn't pan out for him. But in the case of Mighty Heart. Mighty Heart got out there, kind of got bold, and you said moderate pace. Yeah, I mean, they went 47-3 and three to the half, and I think comparing it to last year, I had said this to you know a bunch of my friends who were kind of talking about the race. I said, if someone gets to the lead in the Queen's play and is not pressured early on or that aggressively, you know, this a horse can go gate to wire because that's what happened last year with one bad boy. Flavian was able to get the horse to the front, even if, you know, it was a stretch out in distance, it didn't matter. Once you can kind of get out there and settle and get things going your way, you know, you see this all the time, but especially over the Tapita. So I think now looking at that performance, I thought it was really great to see Mighty Heart at a bunch left late. I mean, no one was really close. I mean, Belichick ran a really good second considering the trip that he got, but, you know, Mighty Heart drew off by over seven lengths. So I think looking at this now on dirt, you have some early foot, you know, he set a decent clip in there you'd have to think on a dirt surface especially Fort Erie there's going to be the speed benefit um looking at last year how the Prince of Wales kind of panned out one bad boy went to the front second I think was A.V. Splatter early on and just off of A.V. Splatter was Tone Broke and Tone Broke got the perfect stalking trip from Santana to kind of just go by them in the field I, you know one bad boy ran a great race just was kind of outgunned in the end so I, I kind of wonder if the same thing's going to happen I'm not super concerned with the dirt in general with him um, like I said, I think the early foot should help him. But I'm wondering if someone that just sits right off the pace might be able to kind of get the job done. So we're familiar with Josie Carroll. And that, that stables run horses at Keeneland and then the winner in the U.S. Uh, tell us something about Daisuke Fukumoto. I, I'm not real familiar with him. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you said that name, by the way, CC. I'm afraid I was going to say something vulgar if I mentioned the name. I, I didn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> well, I yeah. Can, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Ed. So, yeah, so um, he's actually ridden a, a little bit more last year at Fort Erie. He'd come down. Um, it's interesting with him. Um, about a month prior to the plate, he got his first stakes win. Then he got his second, right? And then his wow. third stakes win of his career was the Queen's Plate, which I think is just a cool story. But 
he works really hard um, and he's been kind of hustling. I believe he spent part of the winter this year in New York, which is obviously a tough circuit to break into, uh, but wanted to give it a good try. And I think that's really respectable. And, you know, he's had a decent year. And I think off of that performance, he's getting some more mounts. I think he's winning at like 12 or 13 percent. But they go from not winning a graded stakes or in our, I shouldn't say graded, but a stakes race in general into winning three and, you know, in a month span and the third one being the plate is, is a huge deal. Let's talk about the second choice. Number nine, Clayton. This is the son of Bodie Meister out of a smart strike mare for Kevin Attard and uh, ridden by Rafael Hernandez. Uh, this horse has only raced five times. He's won three of them. He gave up ground late in the Queens plate. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe the switch to dirt would do this horse some good. Yeah, I think the dirt should be fine. I mean, you see kind of the, the workout on August 29th. I know it was before the plate, but the training track at Woodbine, um, you can see you don't have that all weather synthetic symbol, tapita symbol. Um, you know, that's a dirt training track. And I think that sort of breeze, that's respectable for the mornings. I mean, obviously times can be misleading. It's always great to watch workouts to actually see what's going on. Um, but we don't have that going on right now. So got to go through times. But I think kind of looking at the plate and how it panned out, I mean, he stopped and had chased throughout. And with a performance like that from Mighty Heart, you're already at a disadvantage. So I don't think it was a bad performance from him. I think looking at his other races, he really hadn't done anything wrong in his career. And even in the plate, he didn't do anything wrong. And I do like him. I'm still kind of trying to craft how I think the race will unfold. But I think Clayton could get that good stocking trip and maybe do something similar to what Tone Broke did just last year. Um, you know, kind of figuring out the pace scenario, I have to think Tecumseh's war is probably going to be pretty close to the pace as well. So it'll be interesting to see if someone tries to pressure Mighty Heart early on. Did I blow the name? Is it Attard or Adderd? Um, I think Kevin Attard. Did I, did <laughs> I've I, heard it both ways. So I think I've, I've heard, heard it both ways. ways. I never was really sure. So, okay. All right. That's cool. And, and you, you briefly mentioned the seven Tecumseh's war. Uh, is there anything past those three that, that might have a, might stand a chance here? Maybe the three dotted line. Yeah. Dotted line will be interesting because obviously last him out, the trip is not what I expected from him. I thought kind of looking at the workouts and seeing horses that have breezed on a dirt surface recently, uh, Muskoka giant would be a horse that I would use for maybe, I don't know, underneath on a try. I mean, Closes from off the pace every single start. And you've seen that, especially in those last three. But the move on the training track at Woodbine on the 23rd, I mean, went 47 and four breezing. Kind of like that. You see, it's a sun of curling. You kind of see the pedigree right there. You know, should be fine on the dirt. Shouldn't have any problems. And, uh, you know, only has that maiden win. But I think this horse, depending on what happens early on, could have a great trip. And you see Kazushi Kamurs climbing aboard. Won the um, Eclipse Award for Outstanding Apprentice. A uh, lot to like, especially at 12 to 1. And just kind of talking about others, I know um, things to point out. You know, True Believe's a long shot in here. What they decided to do is they put True Believe into Fort Erie uh, last week just to get the horse acquainted with the the ground, something to note. And you know, a lot of people have been talking just about that dirt experience. Some of these horses haven't raced over the dirt. You know, Red Mercury is one of the maidens in the field. This horse has always been based at Fort Erie. So, and, you know, there are some long shots in here, but for me, the long shot that stood out was the eight Muskoka Giant. Now, this race is going to be run on a Tuesday night or Tuesday afternoon. Uh, post time's 537 Eastern. So everybody getting off work, they can flip on TVG and and maybe place a wager on this race. So, uh, Ashley, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, maybe you got $25, $30 in your account and you had a bad weekend. Maybe try to get some of that money back. Uh, what type of wager would you uh, recommend here? I'm gonna, and, and we're going to hold you to this. Oh, this is pressure. Um, 
you know, I'd, I'd probably play some sort of a try. So you got, you know, a dollar minimum on it. I'd, I'd use the the two and the nine on top. And then I'd do something kind of crazy. I mean, I'd start using, you know, the two, three, the seven to comes as war and the nine underneath. And I, I'd single someone like Muskoka Giant for the third spot. I'd maybe play some exactas with Muskoka Giant second. I'm always kind of price searching. I honestly don't have my finalized wagers. I got to actually work on the, the tip sheet later tonight for Tuesday. But you know, seven to five morning line, I thought was a little low. I was expecting probably like two to one morning line. But you have to think, I mean, this horse is coming out of big performance. I know at first they were kind of uncertain whether they were going to go to the Prince of Wales, but it seems like all systems are a go. You see a pretty strong breeze on the 24th. So maybe this maybe this will be, you know, the next horse trying to take the, the triple crown. It's kind of cool to see um, Mighty Heart trying to take it on. Why does this race run on a Tuesday? So... Fortieri, typically in seasons past, we've done Sundays and Tuesdays. And part of this thing is, and we saw this a lot with COVID, um, when we didn't have racing, we only had a couple tracks going. They kind of spread out their schedules so that everyone is kind of getting the the best return um, from like a, a business standpoint. But what we found out, um, this has been for many years, uh, Fortieri's been racing on Tuesdays now. In the summer, we have Tuesday evenings. The first post is around 4, 4.20 in the afternoon. We get a lot of handle from California. So you got think about really? the time difference. But you also, if it's a Tuesday and these were normal times, you get the after work crowd. So they'd come over. We'd have live music at the Tiki Bar. I know you guys had mentioned the Tiki Bar at Fort Erie. Yes. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense because on a Tuesday at 4 o'clock, not many tracks are running. So this is a way for us to kind of get the spotlight on a Tuesday. Because where, where, what other tracks run a $400,000 race on a Tuesday? <laughs> no one really. So it's a chance for us to kind of shine and show our product and share what we have to offer. All right. Uh, that's about all I have to ask. Uh, guys, do you have anything you want to add? Well, I would add one thing real quick, CC. If you remember that race two years ago uh, when Wonder Godot, is it Wonder Godot or Wonder Godot, by the way? It's Wonder Godot, right? It's the Cassie, is that Mark Cassie Philly? Yeah, I believe it should be Wonder Godot. I, I think too. that it's sounds like Godot. fancier. You know, it has like a little something to it. Godot sounds just so like dry. I think it's I Godot, agree. but I'm probably wrong. Do you remember who ran in that race as well, Cece? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it's home base. I, I home had base. Exacta, <laughs> I had the exact straight Wonder Godot over home base, and home base didn't run a step. Yeah, a mile and eighth, but mile three sixteenths way beyond his scope. But home base actually is one of my favorite horses that run around here, and. When yeah, he races at, at Churchill. Yep. Yes, he runs at Churchill, and I've made a lot of money on home base, but I thought that was odd placement. I suppose the horse is Canadian bred. I didn't know that, but uh, it's like, well, you're in the Queen. I didn't see that one coming, the Prince of Wales, but anyway, up against the horse ran second, the Kentucky Oaks, anyway. But uh, yeah, I was wondering if CC remembered that. My dad always brings up home base every because he loved home base in that spot, loved home base in the Prince of Wales. Just thinking, like, I think the horse had dirt experience prior to that. I was like this horse might walk that's my i think the horse just ran maybe um a couple days ago if i'm not mistaken there was entered at churchill and I, yeah and so i you know i i got a message uh just the other day from my dad home base is in he still talks about it two years later I feel like that's one of those <laughs> horses that tell your dad uh because if, if he likes home base he's a he's a buddy of mine i love that horse <laughs> and everybody knows me home base when he runs seven furlongs when he goes seven furlongs from Mike Tomlinson wait for that to come back around he'll prep him he'll get him going seven furlongs and that's when the horse fires his best shot your dad probably already knows that though 
Probably does. And it's just like one of those horses, you know, we talked about bad beats and stuff and some of those horses kind of stick with you. And I think that's one of my dad's most notable in the last couple of years is every time home base runs, I have to get a text message. I'm like, yeah, I already saw it. He's like, oh yeah, of course he did. I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about this again. Do you want to repeat our bad beats and how horses didn't run the way we thought they would? Cause we'll be here for a long time. <laughs> I need to have a beer with your dad. If he loves home base that much, he and I are at kindred spirits. I can tell you that Ashley. Yeah. He likes to gamble, likes beer, likes bourbon, likes Keeneland, everything Kentucky. So have a good time. Okay. Brandon, do you have anything for Ashley? Brandon's not even here. Where's he at? Did he go oh, to bed? I'm sorry. I was sorry. I was on mute. My bad. Um, <laughs> Ashley, where, where do you see yourself? Like, you know, throw COVID out somehow, like in the future. I mean, obviously all three of us and four of us are going to probably keep our day jobs for a while, but what, what will it take kind of the next step? I mean, I'm in banking too, and I, I've been doing it for 15 years and maybe, you know, at year 20, I'll retire and maybe there's a, a track job, but I don't know, probably just greeting people would be my the only job I could get, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to keep investing time in, in, in horse racing and, and energy? And, you know, it does come with traveling and and doing, th- you know, getting up early, going to the backside, doing homework on the back and, you know, everything. So, you know, wh- what do you think going forward? Is, is it something you're going to keep uh, devoting time or still doing the split? I always struggled with this question. You said, what would it take? Well, I wish I didn't have really hefty student loans for one. (laughs) You know, it becomes a point in your life too. And the older I get, the more I realize there's a a difference between passion and a paycheck. Um, There's a fine line there where you need to know what you want to do. And sometimes your passion may not pay as much as what you're making now and things like that. Um, I've always struggled too with racing is just the, the future of racing. Is it going to be sustainable? Yes. This has been oh. this has been a talk. I mean, 40 years is a good example. I mean, there's been several times where we thought we, you know, this might be the last year. And, and that's the problem. And even I can remember when I was 10 years old, there were conversations. Are these big tracks going to kind of become the monopolies and these little guys are going to get weeded out and there's not going to be that? Um, so that's something I've always struggled with is, you know, okay, if I decide to go into racing, is it going to be here in 25 years? Or am I going to still have a job? You know, I, I think racing will certainly exist, but our track's going to fold and I happen to be at one of those tracks and then there's just no room. Um, right. You know, I, I enjoy handicapping. Um, I just like talking horses. Like I said, I never kind of <laughs> envisioned myself doing anything. And I just like sharing that with other people. Um, but long-term in racing, I don't know. I don't see myself being an analyst for the rest of my life or anything like that, or making that full time. I'd like to do something in racing that makes the difference, that makes sure that the the sport's going to stay around or that it's going to attract younger fans. And, you know, that's what we need to do. Um, Ashley, that's a, that's a question I had for you. What, what could racetracks do to attract young people to the game? So it's a tough, it's a tough ask in general, I think, of tracks, because I think, you know, we've talked about Saratoga and Keeneland, and you think about those big tracks, and I think they do what they do very well. I mean, in the case of Keeneland, I think you could take anyone, and I'm not saying just someone from Kentucky that knows Keeneland's there and that they race three weeks in the, you know, in the fall and three weeks in the spring, but I think you could take anyone, one of your friends who's never been to a racetrack, and if you take them to Keeneland, I think they can walk out of that track having some enjoyable experience that they're going to remember and it'll bring them back in. Whether that was, you know, they went to the tailgate, they tailgated and you play cornhole and, you know, have a couple of drinks in the, in the parking lot on the Hill, or you go to the Hill experience, which is a new thing, or you go to workouts in the morning and you go to the track kitchen and you can say, Hey, 
that's Larry Jones and that's, you know, this rider and, and, and show them that side of it. The, you know, the actually the people that are involved in the sport or you take them to the races, they gamble, have a couple drinks, eat some good food. Um, you know, there is a social atmosphere to the racetrack and I think some tracks market it really well and make that experience accessible for everyone. I mean, I know, you know, I've been to tracks where it costs you X amount of dollars to park and get in and pay for a form. And before you know mm-hmm. it, you take your family of four and you're out like 75 bucks and you haven't even gotten your $10 hot dog yet. Um, that That's a struggle too. And I mean, that's a good thing about Saratoga. You can bring everything you want in as long as it's not glass. You bring and you can set up and keep your kids entertained and bring people out and have a couple drinks, maybe bet. Um, you know, I think about my childhood and I'll even say it. Some family members kind of gave my dad a little flack for bringing me to the track. Oh, you're bringing a kid to the track to gamble. Well, you you know, you guys know I'm from Buffalo. How much does it cost to take a family of four to an NFL game? And then you got to deal Amen. with all the, yeah, you got to deal with all the drunk idiots. And my dad said, well, I can spend half of that, be out of the house longer than that. And maybe I make a couple dollars. And, you know, some people don't agree with that logic, but I think we need to attract new fans. I think part of it's making it more accessible and marketing it and doing things to draw people in that maybe maybe it wouldn't usually be at the racetrack whether that's a, a concert or some sort of I've seen it at a couple of them I think Saratoga does like a taste of New York where they have different food samplings and and ciders and beers and that gets them in the door and then it's our job to say hey you know there's racing going on let's go watch a race or something and try to teach people I think some people think it's kind of like the old boys club and that it's a bunch of, I don't know, what you kind of see, like a stereotypical racetrack scene in a movie back in the day, like a black and white film. And it, it's not like that. But I think the sport needs to make it more accessible to everyone, not just certain people and certain groups of people. And uh, like I said, it's our job to show, you know, it's not just gambling. I think there is something at the racetrack for everyone. Um, you just have to learn how to market it and make it kid friendly. I can remember being a kid going up to Woodbine, and they'd have like a a craft club for the kids during the races. I can remember making crafts and this is before I obviously was reading the forum, but that was kind of entertaining. I'm like, Oh, we get to do that again. That's fun. And then I got to go see the horses in the paddock and that's what it's all about. All right. Last question. I promise I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you're, you're a blast to talk to. Uh, yeah. She's fascinating. Uh, she's awesome. Uh, we got a, just over a month before the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland, and I know you keep your eye on the big picture. Uh, any any thoughts on the on the classic division? Uh, we've got horses like Improbable, Maximum Security, Tom's Day Talk. Could the three-year-olds match up with those those top horses, maybe like uh, the Authentics and the art, art Collectors and the Tis the Laws of the World? Really curious to see how the Preakness is going to play out, thinking about Art Collector and Authentic and, you know, Tis the Laws taking kind of the – the bypass of that and training up. And even Tom's data, I mean, they made kind of the conscious decision. They said, nothing's wrong with the horse that we're going to just work up until that goal. And I think it's an interesting uh, landscape. I think with the three-year-olds and the season that they've had, um, I can't really blame the connections of Tisla law not going. I mean, that horse had a tough campaign. You had the, you had the Travers snuck in between legs of the, the triple crown, which is crazy to think of. Um, I, I don't know at this point, if anyone kind of sticks out, I've been part of the breeders cup, the rankings for that. And, towards the top of mine kind of the top three for a while has been some fluctuation of Tom's data max secure you know maximum security um and, and tis the law I think or is that I I've liked always underneath um I don't know if he can win I don't know what his plans are I've always been a by my standards fan um he's run some big races and um people say is he a grade one horse is a grade two horse I don't like to have those arguments because we've seen 
horses win. I always think about the Jim Dandy, who was the horse, um, was a maiden, right? And won the race. Laban or whatever his name was. I can't think of his. Uh, Laban. Yeah, there you go. You know, this stuff happened. Yeah, Yeah, Jim Dandy. There you go. And, uh, you know, it's horse racing. But for me, I don't have a a clear answer to that yet. I'm, you know, max finishing second to improbable. I'll be honest. Improbable is a horse that I've never really gotten behind and been a huge fan of. But I will say his last two efforts, he's really impressed me. I was convinced for the longest time he's a miler. He's just a miler. And he's definitely more than that now. So I got to kind of shut up and eat my words on that. So um, I I think it's a competitive division. I don't think there's one standout where there's this horse that's untouchable and can't get beaten. Um, We'll see what the three-year-olds can do. I've been impressed. I thought Authentic ran a huge race. So we'll see what happens. I mean, we got, just like you said, a little over a month until Keeneland. So a lot can happen. All right. Well, this has been, uh, this has been fun to say the least. Uh, Ashley, you're, you're a great guest and uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk to you in the future. And uh, uh, I got a feeling you're going to do well in this, uh, this industry. And that's for, that's for certain. Uh, Before we actually go guys, you want to add anything else? No, I'll add uh, I love Ashley. She she actually thinks exactly the way I do. She just illustrates it a lot better by bringing kids to the ra- bringing kids to racetrack. Her love of by my standards, who I think is a great horse and, and such. And I think we're in sync. I'm 25 years older, I think, but we're in sync with this handicapping thing, Ashley. I've been told I'm an old soul, so maybe that helps a little bit. But no, I think I think it's great. I think kids should go to the track. You know, teaches them math. I mean, that's what my dad always says. He goes, "You're good at math," because I took you to the track, and I'm always like, "Yeah, okay, I'm sick of hearing that." But that is part of it. There's lots yes. of money, whatever. You, there's there's life lessons to learn at the racetrack. I was a math whiz when I was a kid, and that's one of the reasons horse racing <laughs> uh, uh, struck me so. It's it's math and theory. Yep, you got that right. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. Uh, Ashley, for the 43rd time, thank you very much for, for joining us. And uh, like I said, we, we, we wish you all the best in, in your future uh, endeavors, and uh, hopefully see you see you again soon. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward. Hopefully, we'll be in Lexington for the Breeders' Cup. So, fingers crossed. All oh, right. Good. Yeah, good let us deal. know when you come in town, I guess, when there's normal events. and Because we're always, I mean, I'm at the track quite often whenever it's open at Churchill or Keeneland and whatnot. And I do travel from time to time to go to other races. But we'd love to meet you in person, too. For sure. We'll have to have some bourbon and some barbecue. That sounds good. Amen. I got it all. I got a ton awesome. of bourbon. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you very much, Ashley. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Are right, you too? All right, that's Ashley Mayu, everybody, and she was very, very, very impressive. Would you not agree? Oh my! Uh, first off, it's like talk, it felt like talking to myself. She she talks about horses the way we talk about them and and stuff. And very, very knowledgeable and just just incredibly impressive. Uh, loved having her on. She's fantastic. Very sharp. You know, I go back to uh, when I was that age, though. I, I was very enthusiastic about the game. And I know one thing. After 20 years, 25 years of bad beats and, and losing tickets and winning tickets and all that, I'm a little jaded at my age. So I think my advice for anybody that age would be uh, try to enjoy the sport a little bit more than the, than the gambling side. The gambling side is fun, but, you know, and the handicapping and all that. But I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's an up and down game, that's for sure. That's I completely agree with you there, and that's what I try to do, and it sounds like Ashley has the right frame of mind and uh, could not agree more. All right, so big weekend coming ahead. We've got the Preakness on Saturday as well as Keeneland opening weekend starting, I believe, on Friday. Uh, we'll, we'll try to cover 
all of it for you. Uh, probably have two different podcasts coming up. Guys, you got anything you want to add before we sign off for this uh, wonderful Sunday? No, no, I'm just looking forward to this weekend, the key, opening weekend in Keeneland, even though we can't be there, so it's not quite the same, and I'm sure everybody would agree with that. Still, the racing is top-notch. That first Saturday at the Keeneland Spring Meet and the first Saturday at the Keeneland Fall Meet are some of the best days of racing that there is. So, it, obviously looking forward to that. I wish they'd reconsider this, you know, fan, no fans. I mean, come on. I think that they could easily have a, a few hundred or a, a couple thousand there and still be well spaced out. I mean, but I will say October 23rd, mark your calendar and hopefully everything goes as planned. We're going to return color dawn to race in a, in a six furlong there. And hopefully we'll break her maiden, but I mean, being in there win. in per- person, I hope, but it, it's, it's so different when we ran, if you all remember running, I ran Tappy Gale there, there, it was like 150,000 maiden claim. But, I mean, she came on, we got third, and it was packed. That whole track was packed, 22, 23,000 people. And that feeling without the fans there rooting their horse home, it just is not the same. I mean, I'm missing that big part of what horse racing to me is all about. And I didn't realize I'd miss it that much. But, man, I mean, when you're racing your own horse and it's like a ghost town there and you can barely hear anybody saying anything, it's just strange. Preach on, preach on. Now Brandon, you you played the late pick four on, or the, excuse me, the late pick five at San Anita. Are you still alive in that? Yep. CZ Rocket, my single, came home. Almost got bobbed out, but, uh, you know, uh, barely, barely got it on a photo. And then I had, the, you know, the sprint there. I actually covered the eight horse because uh, I was getting real excited to see if a 30 to one shot would get up. But that didn't happen. Try to beat see, the chalk. But see, the, uh, the jaded me wants to talk about CZ Rocket, but we're going to end on a happy note, right? We're going, we're going to get this pick five home, right? Yeah. Okay. I've got, I got two, three, seven, and then one, four, five, eight, nine. All right. Well, let's all get right. this home. Good luck. All right. Yeah. All right. So that's all for now. We thank you for making it this far and we hope you listen to us again here in a few days as we cover the Preakness and Keeneland. And on behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, this is CC Broadus saying gambling money don't got no home.